So today we're talking about principles of motor learning. So what are principles of motor learning, Dr. Nick? Yeah, principles of motor learning are the underlying concepts that help dictate the way we help deliver neurorehabilitation interventions. Yeah, and that's, that's going to be important for us because understanding them is going to allow us to get better faster, is that right? Yeah, it's a little combination of better faster, but we can also think of it in terms of efficiency, right? We want to be efficient in the way we use, we use our time to recover. Uh, and it's also good in terms of a, uh, a study or a way of describing characteristics of interventions so we can actually evaluate them. Yeah, yeah. And it's good to always know why we're doing something, right? Because uh, it's a little bit, uh, it's, it's, it makes, when things make sense, it's a little easier to do, it's a little bit more motivating. Yeah, and I think one of the principal reasons why we're talking about today is to make it more accessible, right? Because a lot of these things are kind of uh, 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 stored in the ivory towers and we wanna bring them, bring them out to everyone. <laughs> All right, so we're going to try to make this uh, uh, hopefully something that, that can be more easily understood, more accessible. Okay, so starting with the beginning, how, how many now how many principles are we talking about in total here? So there are various ways of chunking them or clustering them, if you want to use that term, but I've selected an approach of, of characterizing them in nine chief principles. Okay, nine. All right, so hopefully... Uh, we'll be able to, uh, to cover each of them here. So let's start with the first one, the first principle of motor learning. What do we call that? Yeah, we call this sort of practice schedule. And practice schedule, as the name sort of describes, is how we are uh, uh, performing those tasks, how we're actually doing the motor learning in terms of the temporal sequence. And generally speaking, um, there are three sort of components to this, or three ways of scheduling at a high level. The first of those is called massed practice. The second one is called distributed practice. And the third one is called variable practice or random practice. Okay, so this is kind of uh, uh, how often should I be doing my exercises uh, and uh, whether or not I should do a bunch at a time whether or not I should do uh, some now, some later. And uh, your third one I think you had brought up so that that was uh, all at once, uh, spaced apart. And the last one is random. So that, that'll be a little bit interesting to talk about as well. But I'm sure everyone's familiar with this idea of uh, uh, when you're training for something or you're practicing a new skill, uh, there's kind of different impacts of uh, when you do a lot of training at once or you kind of, kind of get it spaced out. So, so maybe we'll start at the, the beginning here. I think the first one you called was, was masked practice, is that right? Masked practice, yeah, or chunked practice. They'll often uh, refer to this sometimes as sort of a, another way of des describing it. And this is exactly as the name describes, um, performing all of the activities, whether it's you're um, your, your playing a piano or you're doing some um, endurance exercise or you're doing your neuro rehab, effectively doing it all in one chunk of time Time without the ability to um, rest um, in that in that period. Now, are we talking about when we say mass practice? Does it have to be ten minutes, thirty minutes? Does it have to be five hours for it to be considered mass practice? Or, or am I am I thinking about that right? Very much so. And I think this is we're kind of jumping the gun a little bit when it comes to the amount. Um, the next principle we'll we'll talk about that momentarily. Um, but yeah, it really doesn't matter per se how much you're doing in terms of dosage, if you'll allow okay. me to use the term without defining it. Um, but yeah, effectively, however long you're planned on doing your practice, yeah. your training, your learning, yeah. whatever it is, 
You do that all in one bout. There's no rest. So it's like if I plan on doing 30 minutes or an hour of practice today, I'm going to do it all at once. Now, when we say no rest, do we mean literally no rest? Like, or is, is maybe five or 10 seconds of rest uh, uh, kind of in between as I'm getting ready for the next one? Is, is that okay? Sure. I think, yeah, there's, of course, a spectrum in which we can define the rest periods, of course. Um, and I think at certain points, um, it would probably venture into the second type of category of a distributed practice. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I think generally speaking, if you can even think about a movement per se, there are gonna be some built-in rest periods when you're just going through either a contraction or relaxation, or relaxation uh, point. So there is gonna be some nested re um, uh, rest time in there, but it's really more about how much rest is being um, devoted there. Okay, okay. So it sounds like we'll get into exactly how much rest in, in the next section as well when we, we have it spaced apart. We'll have kind of space types of practice schedules. Mm -hmm. Okay, so talking about all at once, is it good? Is it is it is it a, is it an ideal type of way to approach motor learning? It depends exactly on what you mean by good, <laughs> and and what your outcome, what your goal is. Okay. I think if you are talking about very complex motor patterns, then if you're really just trying to say train for the test, then mass practice is pretty good. But if you're trying to train or optimize or improve a skill that isn't necessarily testable, um, something that's maybe different than your training strategy, then it's quite, uh, it's not the best strategy. Um, uh, something more along the lines of a variable practice schedule or a distributed practice schedule tends to be better. So if I understand correctly here, if I'm, if I'm training for, let's say, um, a really specific skill, like uh, let's say maybe in basketball, if I'm training to shoot um, a, a three-pointer, okay. let's say, uh, and I'm doing a math schedule. I'm just going, you know, all out practicing hours at a time, just shooting three pointers. What, if I understand correctly, that's going to make me. May, that might be the best strategy for if the test. If my goal is to only shoot three pointers, uh, but uh, it might be less transferable to maybe shooting uh, 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 baskets closer. To, to the uh, to the to the basket yeah. to the goal um, or different types of shooting exactly and I think that's a great uh, analogy to bring up because we can all visualize this right going up and either doing a three pointer versus a three pointer they're free throw rather than three pointer very similar motions right but um, the mass practice schedule would help you be very good and it's been shown to be very good at helping you do that exact movement. Mm -hmm. If you change any sort of what are called initial conditions, right? If you take a small step to the left, if you take a small step to the right, you change your sort of relative position to the goal line. If you incorporate a much more variable audience, or if you incorporate um, competitors around you. Sure, someone blocking. Exactly. Um, those, those, uh, the improvements you make during a mass practice schedule tend to fall apart there. It might be less effective. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. well, that makes sense. And yep. I, it sound, sounds like in the general concept of motor learning, Typically, for most cases, we want a more generalized skill yep. and a super specific skill that we can only use in very certain conditions. Very so much maybe, so. maybe we'll go on to the second one here. I think the second one was called spaced practice. So, so what is a spaced practice schedule? Yeah, so spaced practice schedule or distributed practice schedule is kind of as the name describes, when you take bouts of training and you intersperse it with amounts of time to allow what's called consolidation. Um, that consolidation is the process by which you're actually ingesting those memories and you're allowing your brain to adapt to the stimuli that you just actually um, induced. 
And so um, it's, it's uh, and there's some questions about what's the appropriate amount of rest, um, these sort of things. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, um, it's allowing adequate time for the consolidation to happen. So we covered a bit of this already, I think, mm -hmm. when talking about the, the differences or the advantages or disadvantages of a, a, a mass practice schedule uh, with being specific to one skill. The spaced practice schedule does better with generalizing skills so you can maybe be better at shooting baskets kind of no matter uh, 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 or, or at least slightly better than a mass practice schedule from shooting different positions or different points or uh, having competitors I think is what you had brought up. Yeah, that's it's venture. Yeah, that's a good. It's a good way of describing it. I think it's venturing a little bit into more of the variable practice um, uh, realm. I think more in terms of the schedule of practice, a mass practice is is much better at helping immediate post test performance. Okay. So, for instance, if I wanted to optimize your perfect three or free throw um, shot right now, and I had to test you in fifteen minutes, a mass practice approach would probably be best. So, cram. We're effectively talking about some sure. something like cramming. We have students sure. that, that might cram for the sure. test, and uh, um, uh, it might be good to kind of accumulate that knowledge to be immediately tested on the exact same thing. Sure. But uh, they are going to forget, or they, it's less likely they'll retain that knowledge and be able to use it in other situations outside of that direct test that they had just prepared for. Precisely. And, and the spaced practice allows more time to... Um, as I said, consolidate. So that's just kind of, if we were to take the, the test-taking situation, that'd be learning over time. Correct. Uh, and, and so science does say that, that cramming, uh, not so good for learning, maybe, maybe okay for just getting that A on that, that next For test, test performance, yes. yes. All right, so that kind of brings up to us to our, our third type here. Uh, I think you had said it was a variable schedule. So what, what is a variable schedule and how is that different from a space schedule or a mass schedule? Yeah, and this actually brings up another sort of description of the motor learning process, right? You brought up earlier the, the concept of throwing a basketball into a hoop, right? That's, there's a kind of a known sequence of steps there that have to happen in order for you to do that. When you think about a variable um, practice schedule versus a mass practice schedule, Let's just draw a quick comparison here. In mass practice schedule, you may take the exact same sequence of movements and perform that repetitively. I'm talking about the number of times you bounce the ball, the, the exact position of the ball in your hands, and the exact release angles, these sorts of things. Now, this is different than a variable task um, um, schedule, in which case you might vary things. You might change the number of times you bounce it. You might change the side it's passed from. Um, these sort of things. Now, so, amount of seconds you have to look at the net. Exactly. Um, you can change things, you know, variability can come in not only internal to you, uh, meaning your thought process, what you're doing to cue yourself, but it can also come in from the environmental factors as well. So varying um, environmental cues, um, the conditions, the stress levels, these sort of things all sort of culminate to a more variable environment, a dynamic environment is another way to think about this. And practicing the variability in the environment allows you to have, generally speaking, a much more generalized um, test response. So when you say variability, we not only mean the uh, uh, changing slightly kind of uh, the lead up to taking that three point yep. shot, but even what, uh, the, the environment where you are, yep. uh, maybe we're talking about time of day, things like, uh, 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 um, uh, or whether or not there are other people around you. Those are all sounds like things we can change about our environment. Now, um, are we talking about in terms of how much we practice? Are we 
or putting rest breaks in there, how important is that to the variability? Yeah, quite important. I think uh, in terms of incorporating rest periods, it's well documented that rest periods or consolidation or inter-block rest periods um, are really, really helpful at improving long-term retention and long-term performance. So yeah, those, those rest periods do need to happen. Uh, in terms of not only on the metabolic side, just to physically recover, but also for your nervous system, right? There actually are strategies that have to, or I guess mechanisms that have to take place in your brain and in your various motor networks to actually um, uh, uh, consolidate. Um, and what I mean by consolidation is to basically stabilize a motor performance. All right, so we talked that we said we talked about how mass learning is great for cramming. Now, variable learning is that good for cramming? For something that where I'm just going to be tested here momentarily and I have only a limited amount of time to learn? The short answer is no. Um, it, it, what happens in early variable training, you actually have a decrease in performance, which is maybe oh, a little bit interesting, right? A little counterintuitive. But the reason being is if you design the interventions or the training schedules appropriately, you don't really have enough time, at least early on, to develop a good motor pattern because you're asking your brain and your neuromuscular system to do a lot of different things. And it takes some time to ingest that and to stabilize a network that can actually perform those tasks. So you do get a transient decrease in performance of a task where you can. Yeah. But yeah. the cost of that early on is, uh, is, is sort of returned. The return on investment is much, um, a much better performance in generalized tasks later on. So if I'm thinking about something like uh, uh, maybe uh, doing a hula hoop and uh, juggling at the same time, I might be decent at hula hooping, but if I want to practice kind of a much more complex skill involving different types of movements, and I introduce a whole different number of factors all at once, I might get worse at uh, any of those individual tasks that I w was decent at prior um, uh, in the beginning as I kind of get uh, maybe a little bit dis uh, discombobulated or a little bit uh, uncoordinated between those tasks. Sure, that's an exceptionally complex motor skill that you're <laughs> describing there, David, and I think it's a good one. Um, if we make it a bit more simple, we sure. go back to the basketball approach, yeah. um, taking someone in the context of, hey, they've done a, a mass practice schedule and they can throw free throws very, very well. But now what we've done is we've actually asked them to be more dynamic and now they're having to go um, at the three-point line on a diagonal, now they're having to uh, move around in the court and they're now facing opponents. And they're gonna be probably much worse at a, at a, at a free thrower, at a free throw shot or at just a generalized shot okay. early on. Yeah. But what happens is that's maybe costly early on to their performance. They might not be hitting as many baskets, but the benefit is now in the test condition, which is a real game, they're gonna be much more adapted, much more tuned to handling an environment in which individuals are running around. Um, trying to block them, right? and they're having to shoot at different sort of geometries um, with respect to the basket. Basket, yeah. Yeah. So okay. So that sounds like uh, you know more maybe more useful generalized practice. A a uh, maybe that's what makes sports so complex as well. Basketball and, and many other team sports where there's so many different variables that you can't really train for a specific skill and get it 100% every time in competition. The, the, the other team will change their strategies and, and make it more complex, uh, more, more challenging for you, something that maybe you aren't so prepared for, your motor learning is not so prepared for. So now, uh, talking back about training, randomizing how I train, um, how much does that, how, how do I do that uh, in order to improve 
the the generalizability of uh, what I'm training. Yeah, you can do this a couple ways. You can do what's called randomizing a sequence, or you can randomize the presentations. And so what you can do is you can imagine taking a whole task and parsing it out into individual components and then practicing those components individually. For certain tasks or certain skills, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense just because it doesn't make sense to try to push them back together again. Um, but that is a strategy that can be done with certain activities. Now the alternative is to take a much a, a complete task, such as throwing a basketball into a hoop, and you can randomize all of the initial conditions. So I can ask you to run from 10 different places on the court and randomize a sequence of the, the shots that you have to um, take from different locations, sort of angular trajectories, as well as lengths from the, the hoop. That's going to force you to make a much more generalized motor pattern to accommodate different sensory information as well as the trajectories and these sorts of things. So if you're going to imagine like maybe uh, one of those pitcher, uh, pitching machines in baseball mm -hmm. that will pitch the ball at you at a set velocity, at a set time, at a set place, you might get, it's more like a mass practice schedule, you might be really good at hitting that one type of ball, um, but if you want to generalize that skill of being able to hit you know, any type of ball that's, or more, more different types of balls that are thrown at you, um, you'll need to aim, have that pitching machine be able to aim at different places, different speeds, uh, different spins on the ball to create different curves, and that's really going to be uh, what what optimizes, what make, leads you to be the best kind of hitter. And it sounds like there's a lot of complexity a lot of different knobs that can be tuned uh, in, in this kind of variable scheduled uh, practice. And perhaps, I mean, at this point, do we know exactly how to optimize, maybe for a brain injury survivor, exactly what we need to do to get them uh, their movements back? Yeah, in terms of the word exactly, of course we don't know that. Uh, there is much to be learned about how these general principles of motor learning apply to the cases of a variable disease state, such as a, a neurologic injury, such as a stroke or a spinal cord injury or traumatic brain injury. So the honest answer is we don't know the perfect um, equation, if you, if you can imagine, to tune their rehab interventions or their motor learning strategies. We know some key principles, right? We, we're actually, based on these, these sort of um, nine fundamental principles, we know kind of how to optimize them, but we don't know whether or not that's a true maximum performance or whether or not we've just achieved some sort of local maxima of, of the parameters. And I think this is just because it's really hard to study. You can, just by nature of you describing some of the complexity, right? We can change subtle things and it can have vast effects. And in order to do these, these large studies to actually draw inferences from that, we have a lot of, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of um, uh, study power. Well, as, as with, I think, a lot of things involving mm. the brain, it sounds like we need more data. Yeah. Uh, we kind of understand some of the guiding principles behind what and why the brain is able to uh, uh, rewire, gain new skills, new connections, and cr uh, create that motor learning. Uh, but exactly what we need to do to apply those general principles to really specific tasks and movements, uh, we need more data and there's more, more, yeah. uh, more research to be done. Always more research to be done. And I think the other really interesting thing to understand is that while we have these principles, and even if we knew like the optimal case, that might only be true for the individual the optimal right. case was designed for. And maybe that's another topic <laughs> that we'll have to discuss at another point, yeah. but um, right, that, that uh, um, a, a perfect practice schedule for one person uh, may not be so generalizable 
to another individual. Well, very good. Thank you today, Nick, for um, talking about practice schedule and how it affects motor learning.